Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Thursday, April 25th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Sun-Times writer Tom McNamee, a.k.a. Tommy Mac, returns. Union man Ryan Kelly will join us, and we welcome State Senator Rom Villivalam. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjirovsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Cynical Thursday. And here's why. So I woke up this morning bright and early to find some happy news. What time was that that you woke up? Oh, man, it was at least a quarter to ten. I was up bright and early with the robins and the worms, all right? Our host, ladies and gentlemen. A text on my phone sent from our good friend, union man Ed Maher, who obviously gets up a lot earlier than I do. Anyway, he was bearing good news. Turns out that Mayor Rahm was getting involved in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra strike. That is the strike that has left this city without a world-class orchestra for seven weeks. Rahm said, and I quote, because it was also in the bright one. Okay. Oh, newspaper, ladies and gentlemen. Real newspaper. That's right, live streamers. You should join the live stream if you're listening to the download. We now have video. Anyway, Rahm said, and I quote, I am offering the services of my office to serve as a forum where both parties can work in good faith to facilitate an equitable and fair solution, and that brings an end to the current impasse. Well said, Rom. (laughs) Reading Rom's statement left me with three thoughts. Number one, yay! Had a boy, Mayor Rom. You know, I'm always looking for nice things to say about you as opposed to the nasty stuff I usually say about you. So So finally, you do something right. Number two, what took you so beep long? Thank you for editing that. Number three, wait a minute, I was supposed to be saying nice things. So number four, I think Rom is secretly listening to our show, you know, on the down low. I realized that I said I was going to say three things, and that's four things, but saying nice things about Mayor Rom got me so excited, I lost count. Anyway, back to Rom listening to the show. I bet his favorite part of the show was where Dr. D does his runner imitation. Uh, Not a doctor. (laughs) Or maybe where he does his Pritzker imitation. Oh, hey, not a perfect person. (laughs) Or where he does his imitation of Mayor Rom. I'm smart, you're not. Uh, You know, maybe that's not his favorite part. Or maybe where I do my imitation of Dennis doing his imitation of Samuel Jackson. Look at the brain on Brad. Anyway, back to Rom listening to the show. The reason I think he's been listening to the show is last week we had Steve Lester on as our guest, and he's the leader of the orchestra union, and he was talking about the strike and how long it's been going on, how frustrating it is, and how uh, despairing it is to professional musicians that don't get the respect they deserve. And I went on one of my great riffs where I said, come on, Rom, you want this to be a world-class city that brings people in from all over the world? You cannot allow your orchestra to go on strike. Half of the people who are on the board of trustees are your pals and they give money to your 
campaign. They love you. You love them. Get on the horn and call them up. Go ahead. Settle this thing like a, a real mayor would do, like Mayor Richard J. Daly would do. All right? Anyway, now Rob's getting involved. So that leaves me with two more thoughts. One, he wants to do right the right thing before he leaves office. Or two, <laughs> knowing Rom the way I do, he probably figures they're close to cutting a deal, so he's going to get involved to get the credit for ending a strike that would have ended anyway. Oh, why must I be so cynical when it comes to Mayor Rom? We've got a great show today, everybody. Tom McNamee, editorial board editor of the Sun-Times, will be here. He'll be sitting right there in that chair. We're talking about all the latest issues of the day, including his latest editorial about J.B. Pritzker and Toilet Gate. That'll be interesting. Uh, Ryan Kelly, our good friend, union man. Ryan Kelly will be in talking about all the labor issues of the day. State Senator Ram Vilivalam, the pride and joy of the northwest side of Chicago. West Riders Park will be sitting right over there. He'll be talking about all the political issues of the day. So we have labor talk, political talk. Mm, Mayor Rahm talk, which is kind of political talk as well. Talk, 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 talk. A lot of Joe Biden talk ahead of us. So we'll get into all that discussion. But first, the doctor with the national news. How's it going, guys? My name's Dennis. Not a doctor. <laughs> it's middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. And yes, since Joe Biden finally announced that he's running for president, took you long enough, buddy. <laughs> we'll sum up our Thursday, April 25th coverage in the Donald Trump White House like this. No collusion, no obstruction. Twitter, Mueller bad, Trump good. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> I didn't order my counsel to file Robert Mueller. All caps MAGA. Twitter, Twitter, witch hunt, fake news. Kellyanne Conway. Oh, and this. <laughs> Anything you'd like to add, Ben? No, that was like that song by, uh, what was it, R.E.M., you know, this is the end of the world and we know Stop it. Stop singing. Oh, sorry. But you know that song where he goes, Leonard Bernstein, bubba bima, bada buddha, bada buddha. That's what it was like. Bada buddha, yeah. <laughs> Those are the words, bada buddha. The spin from the Trump White House lives on. All right, so there's that. Now let's get to it. People, it's finally official today. Grandpa Joe got out of his rocking chair, <laughs> rocking back and forth on that decision, buddy. I like he, Grandpa Joe. He put on his best suit and released an online video. Oh, He's yeah, running yeah. for president. Very in, hip with the online video. He's running for president in 2020. And whether you could care less or not, Joe Biden becomes an immediate top front runner in this 2020 election. We'll play Biden's candidacy video in moments, but first, Ben Jarofsky, inquiring minds are <laughs> dying to know, are you riding with Biden? Uh, I'm not ready to make the commitment yet. I like to take my time, think about things, let all the, I'm with all the candidates in the race. For all I know, Brian, the brains of this operation may jump into the race when he's done fixing our camera here and everything. Uh, but I got to tell you that I was, I was excited uh, by Biden's entry in particular because, you know, D, I'm a super cool uh, millennial at heart and I'm on Instagram. Did you know that? Yeah. I'm on Instagram. So one of my uh, Instagram feeds, you know, that's like what they call it, D, when you get the little messages. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for coaching me up on that. It was from Etan Thomas, uh, who is a former basketball player and a political activist now. Anyway, he said he had this picture of Biden next to uh, Stacey Abrams. He goes, dream ticket. I was like, yeah! So excited about that. That would be a good ticket, by the way. Joe Biden, Grandpa Joe, and Stacey Abrams, you know, the uh, former gubernatorial candidate. So you are Trump. riding with Biden. Well, I'm kind of excited. I wouldn't say I'm riding with him. I'm kind of feeling uh, Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, I voted for Bernie in 2016 and like Kamala Harris. Biden. You know, I like her too. So I'm kind of like, see that flag over there, D? Blow that way. 
in the breeze. Here's the video released today, a little part of the video, mm -hmm. from former vice president, now finally, 2020 <laughs> presidential candidate, Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Folks, America's an idea, an idea that's stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. It guarantees that everyone is treated with dignity and gives hate no safe harbor. All right, Grandpa Joe, now go sit down, take a breather. <laughs> that music is stirring, man. I'm all fired up. Bigger than any ocean, did he say? That's pretty good. Yeah. Like, you know, grandpa. You know what? The guy's been running for president uh, one way or another since the '80s. Do you realize? I think you weren't even born yet when he was running for president. All right, in 1983. Uh, well, okay, you were a toddler or whatever you were when you started running for president. You were going goo goo gaga and Alton, but. Uh, <laughs> It sounds so. like you're going goo goo gaga for Biden. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know, I found that very stirring, and I saw flags flying, and you know, I've put Stacey Abrams on the ticket with them. I could be, you know, convinced. Come on. By the way, a great column by Mary Mitchell in today's bright one. Oh, look at that! Mm -hmm. Live streamers, we got video. If you're listening on the download, check out this live stream video we're doing. You'll see that uh, the doctor is looking very, very, very okay, <laughs> very smooth and slick in that outfit over there. Yes, uh, Stacey Abrams will be coming to Chicago. Mary Mitchell, uh, Sun Times columnist, will be uh, the uh, moderator at an event where Abrams will be participating in the Chicago Humanity Festival's annual Joanne Alter Women in Government Lecture. Anyway, good column by Mary Mitchell about Stacey Abrams. Etan Thomas says Stacey Abrams and Biden. Yeah, you know, kind of. Guys, he's riding with Biden. We're now learning from <laughs> Biden spokes, folks. Joe Biden's campaign will not accept money from federal lobbyists or corporate PACs. He also won't accept money towards a potential general election campaign. Joe Biden has hired Simone Sanders as a senior advisor to his campaign. She was Bernie Sanders' press secretary in the 2016 primary. Um, he just got an endorsement from lawyer Michael Avenatti. Okay, well that's <laughs> he nothing to write home about. Did he really yeah. get I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to Avenatti's endorsement. <laughs> thanks, no, thanks, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and Biden fans, get them while you can. And this is a real story. The Biden campaign just released Joe Biden 2020 baby onesies. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, you know, they got the baby onesies out. When are we going to get our uh, Ramada Rundown t-shirts? Huh? That's what I'm saying. Come on, Sun Times. Get got the camera. Right. Now let's get the t-shirts. We got to get those. If they can get the baby onesies out, we can get those Ramada t-shirts. Oh, and uh, no surprise here. President Trump is already trolling Biden on oh, where yeah. else? Twitter. Yeah, you knew that was coming. Cue the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting our full meal of Dennis impressions today, aren't yeah. we? <laughs> when I do Pritzker, Rom. Can you do Lisa from The Simpsons? I can't please? do Lisa oh, from The on, Simpsons. Come on, man. Here's the tweet from Trump to Biden. <laughs> Welcome to the race, Sleepy Joe. <laughs> 
I only hope you have the intelligence, long in doubt, to wage a successful primary campaign. It will be nasty. You will be dealing with people. You truly have some very sick and demented ideas. Oh, let me read that again. You will be dealing with people who have some truly very sick and demented ideas. But if you make it, I will see you at the starting game. <laughs> oh, Trump talking trash to Biden. You know, those two don't like each other. Like these old guys who are like ready to roll up their sleeves, go in the back. Come on, let's go do some fisticuffs. But when's it Biden? It's, I'll take him in the back alley and thrash him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, threaten to beat him <laughs> up in an alley. Guys All are right. like closing in on 80, you know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, yeah, the trash talking. The Trump loves to trash talk on Twitter. Hey, look, Donnie, you got your own issues. You got to worry about those subpoenas. You're fighting the subpoenas that Congress is going after your uh, AIDS with. You're going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court and hope Kavanaugh does a flip-flop and support you on that. So, you know, you got your own problems. But I guess that's how he, you know, diverts his attention from all the troubles of the world. There's a little trash talking on Twitter. Oh, and go look for it online. I forgot to put it in my news here. But, uh, yeah, those of the progressive persuasion, oh, they're talking trash on Biden as well. Go oh, look wow. for it online, everybody. <laughs> not all right? surprised. Go look for it online. Well, the Democrats love to just <laughs> pound each other. And finally, yeah. if you were to ask fellow Democratic 2020 presidential candidate Cory Booker his thoughts on this Ooh. Biden news, he's like, Joe Biden, Schmo Biden, who cares? He just released his tag. Tax returns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, pay attention to me. Cory Booker, man. Can't find that moment in the sun quite yet. Yeah. But now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Really, one story with Biden. No, oh, Biden. Come on. It's huge, man. Joe Biden. He's the centrist that the Democrats think they need to beat Donald Trump. He's the centrist who could supposedly get those swing voters that Rahm and David Axelrod are always talking about in, in Maryland and Virginia. So, yeah, de- centrist Democrats are really excited. But you're right. Democrats of the lefty persuasion, mm, not so excited. That's why, Grandpa Joe, if you're listening, I know you're a huge fan of this show, just like Mayor Rahm. You're a huge fan of him, you probably <laughs> You probably download it together at night and go, hey, did you hear Dennis's imitation of Lisa Simpson? Anyway, I'm, ad- <laughs> I'm advising you, get Stacey Abrams on the ticket. All right? That'll help you a little bit. All right, Ben, put that Biden lunchbox away. We're going to talk <laughs> okay. about local news now. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? Yes, indeed. Awesome. I was born ready. Incredible. I love that answer because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out exactly what else is news. All right, let me tell you something, D. All right, you ready for this? What? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Don't oh forget that. Oh, my God, that. are you a rapper? <laughs> it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, and I can't wait till Dr. D gives it that local news. And if anybody can tell me who I am quoting when I say it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, Dr. D will send you some frozen steaks. Not sending you anything, but head over to the live stream and uh, answer that if you're listening. It's a long way. Anyway, um, we'll be right back with the local news. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. 
Facebook.com. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Damn, that guy can play piano. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We're back live. We are indeed in our humble little studio at the Sun-Times, just down the hall from the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're about to take that deep dive in the local news. What you got for me, young man? Absolutely. We're about to find out what's going on mm-hmm. locally. And today, well, it's time for what else is news. And today, we're going to talk again about an issue that our host, Ben Jarofsky, calls pointless. Non-existent, oh, yeah. irrelevant, oh, yeah. an illusion. Oh yeah. Man. Today we're talking about aldermanic prerogative. Mm-hmm. For those who may not have known, Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot has promised to issue an executive order on May 20th, aka her inauguration day, ending the unwritten rule that has given aldermen virtually iron-fisted control over zoning and permitting in their wards. Mm-hmm. This is also known as aldermanic prerogative. And yeah, believe it or not, some aldermen in the city have a problem uh, with Mayor Lightfoot wanting to do that. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one, the only, Fran, the woe man, Spielman people. Go check out the Fran Spielman show, chicago.suntimes.com. She has the best guest. Uh, she airs her show in the same building as us. Mm-hmm. Ben, I heard she'll be having Chicago mayor, but thank God not for much longer. Rahm Emanuel on our show in the coming weeks. On her show. On her show. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. at our show. Yeah. On no, her no, yeah, show. That ought to be a very good interview. Fran, don't worry. When Rahm comes in. You do your show very early on Friday. Ben wakes up at like 10 every morning, all right? You won't have to worry about these two crossing paths, right? It'll be all good. All good. Well, apparently, Rom, you listen to the show, so it'll be all good, buddy. Don't worry about it. Ben wakes up really late. I just got a text from Rom. He really wants you to do your Lisa Simpson invitation. Oh, really? I don't do Lisa. I do Marge. Oh, is it Marge? Come on. Sorry, Rom. I thought it was Lisa. All right, so. Get with it. All right. How about J-Rock? Can you uh, do a J-Rock? I'm not doing yeah. J-Rock right. from the Trailer Park Boys. Aldermanic prerogative time. Oh, yeah. Here's the article today from France Spielman. Facing pushback from some of the city council's most senior aldermen, Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot tried Wednesday to refine the signature promise of her campaign ending aldermanic prerogative. But 
If Lightfoot, uh, Lightfoot, Lightfoot pushes too hard, she can have a fight on her hands with some aldermen whose support she needs to approve a budget that's almost certain to include painful cuts and tax increases to satisfy a $272 million spike in pension payments. Let's pause there. Ben Jarofsky, go. <laughs> Have a, have a, have a. Uh, I was really listening and enjoying your riff there. Uh, she's already backing off, by the way, Lori Lightfoot, uh, on this pledge to get rid of aldermen and prerogative. I could go on and on about aldermen and prerogative. As you said earlier, I believe it's a phony issue. It's a fraudulent issue. It's a fake issue. And I know many of my friends of the leftist persuasion really get upset when I say these oh, things. Oh, we'll get to that later. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, I, it's, a, it's a phony issue because in reality... Follow me what I'm about to tell you, folks. In reality, uh, under Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley, and that stretches back, that that encompasses all the years between 1989 and now. That's a lot of time. All right? Let me do the math. Okay. 30 years, all right? Nice. Good that- work, Dan Biss. <laughs> <laughs> so good at that math. Hold on. Yep, 30 years. Just did the double check. That's 30 years. That's a long time. We haven't had aldermanic prerogative. Aldermanic prerogative is really mayoral prerogative. And so this notion that aldermen have sole control of whatever goes on in their wards when it comes to land use or zoning decisions, there's an asterisk on top of that. And that says when the mayor doesn't want to get involved. So the mayor will allow local aldermen to regulate things uh, that the mayor doesn't care about. And that gives the alderman the illusion of being in control and being the man or the woman uh, in his or her ward. But when it comes to things that the mayor really believes in, the mayor really can, wants, there is no more automatic prerogative. And do you need evidence of that, Dave? Do you want some evidence of that? There's many evidences I can cite. Evidences I can cite? There's many examples I can cite. You give those examples in just a moment. We'll continue on here. Ooh, I want to give the... Hold on, let me write that down so I get that for... Examples. Examples coming soon. Coming soon. The Fran Spielman article continues. Mm -hmm. Aldermen are reluctant to relinquish any more control at a time when their powers have been greatly diminished. Trash pickup is now done on a grid system instead of a ward by ward. An interactive 311 system allows Chicagoans to go around aldermen by making and charting the progress of their own request for city services. Here's the quote from Mayor-elect Lightfoot on Wednesday on her executive order to end aldermanic prerogative. Quote, I'm having a lot of conversations with current aldermen and looking at ways in which we can address the challenge. But it's a bigger issue than that because there's lots of different things that aldermen are tasked with responsibility that really ought to be something that's done through the executive branch. Aldermen absolutely have to have notice on things that are going on. They should weigh in in a constructive way. But what I'm talking about is eliminating the unilateral veto right. We obviously want to be respectful of aldermen. We want to make sure they are fully engaged in representing their communities. And what I'm proposing doesn't preclude them from doing that. I want them to do that. But what I don't want is to have a unilateral, unchecked veto right on everything that goes on in a ward. It doesn't work. And we know, given the sad history, it's a breeding ground for corruption. All right. Where do I start with that one? All right. First of all, she's proposing to eliminate something that does not exist. She's proposing to eliminate the quote unquote unilateral veto right that aldermen have over land use decisions in their ward. They do not have that unilateral veto right. The mayor has had that universal uh, uh, unilateral veto right. We, and I, the examples just go back last week or two weeks ago with the TIF, the huge mega TIF deal, 78 in the South Loop, the, the alderman 
Hispanic elect, uh, Byron Sixto Lopez, was against it. All right. The current alderman who's sitting in the 25th ward is somewhere in federal witness protection. That would be one Danny Solis. Ever since he was caught wearing a wire, uh, federal wire on Ed Burke, he's disappeared. So there's no local alderman to weigh in on whether they should have that tiff. Sanchez, excuse me, Sixto Lopez, the newly elected alderman, said he was against it. He asked them to hold off and they voted for it anyway. So where's the automatic prerogative? When there's big decisions that the mayor really wants, automatic prerogative goes out the window. You want another example? They are, right? Since you asked, I'll give you another example. Thanks. How about the presence, TIF vote? Yeah, that happened about a year ago, downtown Chicago, $5.5 million of your property tax dollars to the presence medical uh, group. They're uh, an anti-abortion group, and uh, the local alderman, Brendan Riley, was against them giving the money. Mayor Rahm wanted them to get the money. Guess what? The council voted with Mayor Rahm and not Brendan Riley. Terry Cosgrove can go on and on about that from uh, personal packer, guest from yesterday's show. You want another example? Okay, since you asked, I'll give you another example. Nick Spazzato in 2011 did not want an UNO charter school in his ward. Mayor Rahm and Danny Solis at the head of the zoning committee wanted it there. They shoved it down his throat. Time and time again, aldermanic prerogative goes out the window when the mayor wants to override it. When the mayor doesn't want to override it, when he, when he or she doesn't care about the zoning issue, he'll let the local alderman decide it. So stop pretending that this is an issue when it's not. This is so classic Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. We have so many pressing problems in our city. And yet, what do we do? We solve problems that don't exist. That makes it easier not to deal with the real problems. All right. You know, since we're talking about it, we also got a message from a listener on our Facebook page this morning about mm. aldermanic prerogative. You're kidding. By coincidence? By coincidence. This oh. guy has been actually needling Ben about this for a couple of months now, so I'm glad we can get him on here finally okay. to uh, present the, his, his question or statement. His name is also Ben. What? You're kidding me. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's another guy named Ben who cares about automated prerogative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's all... Come on in, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom McNamee has entered the building. Tom McNamee has entered the building. All All right, right, go ahead. His name is also Ben, and boy, does he disagree with your opinion on this topic. (laughs) I wonder if it's like like my shadow self, like the movie Us. It's like another Ben. Can you think late at night I write stuff to myself? Well, he's on Facebook. He looks way younger than than this Ben I'm looking at right now. What could be my younger self coming back? Whatever. Anyway, what does Ben have to say? Other Ben, I really hope you're listen buddy because i'm about to read the question you sent ben please be nice he's a listener here oh, we go come on, i love listeners here's the message please quit asking me to do simpsons characters and pre- oh wait no that <laughs> that was actually the message i just sent you sorry let me uh, refresh here okay here we go here's oh, ben's funny. question ben says have someone to argue with ben on his preposterous perspective on aldermanic prerogative i'd be happy to we may have to book him i was involved in the uh, 41st ward effort and worked with several organizations on the issue Ben, if you're listening, you're not getting it. Okay. You know what? Uh, listeners are always correct. Uh, absolutely always correct. The uh, Tom McNamee knows this. When a letter writer writes in, the letter writer's always right, even though the letter writer's wrong. That's how we do it in this business. You're always right, even if you're wrong. But let me just say this, Ben, even though I think you're the other side of me. Ooh. I just actually dr- addressed this. Have a camera. 
Oh, show those. Listeners. Tom, we have cameras today. <laughs> Camera? All right. You're looking very dapper. Thank, Thank goodness. Uh, and the pride and joy of Bogan High School, ladies and gentlemen, Tom McNamee. Um, anyway, here's this column I wrote about. I addressed this very issue, uh, Ben. I'm glad you wrote in. It has to do with the housing battle that went down in the 41st Ward. Maya uh, Dukmasova talked about this when she was on the show on Tuesday. And in that particular instance, the alderman uh, voted to veto what would seem like a perfectly good uh, suggestion of proposal to put about 20 or 30 units of uh, affordable housing in the 41st Ward out by O'Hare on the grounds that the local alderman, Anthony DiPolitano, uh, was against it. Okay, so they, they invoked aldermanic prerogative uh, as the principal reason for going against uh, this perfectly reasonable affordable housing deal. At least that's my position. It was a perfectly reasonable uh, a, a proposal. And uh, so ever since then, many of my activist friends of the lefty persuasion seized the issue of aldermanic prerogative and used aldermanic prerogative as though that in itself were the reason why Chicago has such an abysmal record on affordable housing. I address this issue in the story talking about the fight over integration that goes way back, and affordable housing goes way back to the 50s when Mayor Richard J. Daley was the mayor of the city of Chicago and Elizabeth Wood was in charge of the CHA and she wanted to put scattersite housing throughout the city of Chicago and there was this big reaction in the city of Chicago from white residents were riots. Tom McNamee knows the history of Chicago very well. There were riots and the city basically came up with this notion that they were not going to force integration in neighborhoods that quote unquote didn't want it. We're not going to put affordable housing in neighborhoods that didn't want it. And this is a lack of leadership at the top. This start, this is the mayor's prerogative again. So they just use automatic prerogative as an excuse to do something we should be doing on a citywide basis where our mayor elect or our mayor should be leading. And so what I'm saying is if the city lacks an affordable housing program, which it does, a, cit- a citywide systematic affordable housing program that deals with the issue, the very real issue of the lack of affordable housing uh, in Chicago, we should look at the top we should look at where the programs emanate and how the mayor can work with aldermen and how the mayor can work with his commissioners and his department chiefs and the and the development community and the corporate community in the city of Chicago, the editorial board community in the city of Chicago, and figure out a citywide system way to, to solve a very compelling problem. The real reason why that t- those 20 units did not get passed uh, on the north side, on the northwest side, is because Mayor Rahm had no horse in that race. He stayed out of it. They left it up to Napolitano, and they used aldermanic prerogative as an excuse to kill something they should have passed anyway. And that is my response to Ben. There you are, other Ben. That work out? Yeah, probably no, not. <laughs> I don't know. Send us a message on the Facebook page. Let us know uh, what you thought there. And uh, hey, send us a comment again. That's fine. Don't worry about it. And just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally here in Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something that Jeff Manuel, the great piano player, oh. uh, Jeff Johnson, our guest every uh, fourth Thursday on this show, and Jeff Jones, kid I went to high school with. Hey, Jeff. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. we got Tom McNamee sitting right here, ready to talk all the issues of the day. We'll be right back after this. At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of The Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. Tom McNamee, editorial board editor uh, extraordinaire for the Sun-Times, regular on the show. I think this is his third visit to the show. Hey, Sun-Times, let's get some Tom McNamee, some Tommy Mac t-shirts. We got those Ramada t-shirts coming. Tommy Mac hat would be awesome. A Tommy Mac hat to go with the Ramada t-shirt. Man, that... That would be killing. Anyway, Tom, welcome back. Thanks for yeah, uh, good taking, to be here. taking a break in your day. I know you love to joust with me as much as I love jousting no, with you. No, it's been fun. All right. Now, today's editorial, actually in total agreement with you, 100%. like to say that right yeah, now. Yeah, by the way, that ultimate prerogative thing, we don't get into it, but I agreed with what you said, that, that it really starts at the top. And if you just seize on automatic prerogatives as the evil of all things, it is a problem. But to pretend if you got rid of it, that solves everything. That's silly. But go ahead. Let's right, go back yeah. to the, yeah. I agree with you 100% of what. Wait, you're agreeing with me. So Off of course to a I good agree start. with you. Off by, to a good start. By the way, I'm happy to see David Roder's name in the Sun-Times. An old friend of mine, uh, David Roder. Good man. David Roder mm-hmm. back with the Sun-Times. That's good news. All right. Um, today's editorial, you wrote it, correct? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I did. And the headline is Mudding Up Pritzker to Derail Honest Vote on Better Income Tax. Folks, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, we talked, I call it Toilet Gate and all good joking and of course uh this is an old issue that's been around for well over a year uh the pritzkers jb and his wife took out the toilets in their mansion on the gold coast and as a result the value of their home fell and they as a result of that they paid less in property taxes and as tom mcnamee likes to point out if somebody gets a break on their property taxes everybody else pays a little more Mm -hmm. to compensate so it was an important issue uh in the gubernatorial race last year and um, and suddenly uh, WBEZ has unveiled that the feds may be uh, investigating it further. And that led uh, Tom to write the following thing, uh, the following lead, quote, we smell a setup. The most important job for the Illinois legislature in the next five weeks is to take tough votes on essential legislation to move the state forward after years of stagnation, beginning with a vote in favor of a graduated income tax. 
and income tax, yet opponents of the fair tax, more interested in protecting the bank accounts of the wealthiest people in Illinois, are doing their best to derail an honest vote by dirtying up Governor J.B. Pritzker with old mud. <laughs> old mud. That's pretty good, Tom. <laughs> All right. Go to tell folks what you're getting at here. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, let's start with the basics. I think Illinois does need, it needs more revenue. And anybody who tells you that we have enough tax revenue, we just have to cut expenses, is just talking nonsense. We're at the point now where we just were billions and billions of dollars in the hole with, with pension liabilities and whatnot. We need more tax revenue. The only question is, where does that tax revenue come from? All right, you're going to keep squeezing, you know, the uh, the hardworking bus driver who lives in Pilsen, or are you going to ask more of the wealthier people in this country? And the way we look at it, and and 30-something states already have this, you need a graduated income tax, sometimes called the progressive tax, sometimes called the fair tax. And what it basically means is the rate of taxation goes up the more money you make. So on your first dollar, you may get taxed at a rate of 5%. I'm making these figures up. Maybe, but but on your one millionth dollar of earnings, you might get taxed at 75 or 8% because you're wealthier. You can afford to give up a little more in tax on each dollar you earn if you're rich. You're not buying baby food for the kid on 18th Street. You're buying a third home. You're buying yourself a yacht. You're buying yourself another trip to Paris. So you can do without a little bit more. And not only that, and this is really important to me as a guy who grew up in the city and didn't grow up, you know, with a a silver spoon. This country gave people a lot. You cannot find a rich person in this country, including Governor Rauner, who who used to pat himself on his back for being such a self-made man. There are no self-made people anywhere in the world and certainly not in this country. They are the beneficiaries of the of the greatness of this country and the abilities to do things they did. You know, Governor Rauner, a graduate of New Trier, one of the best high schools in the whole country. His father was a vice president of Motorola. You know, mm-hmm. these are not people who just came up from nothing. All we're asking is that the rich people in the world understand that and that they pay more of the income tax so that other people can get the same chance. That's what it's all about to have a graduate, graduated income tax. Pritzker, one of the richest people in the whole world, <laughs> ironically, yeah. wants to do that, yeah. okay? So they can't kill it on its merits, or maybe they can, but they're, not, they're afraid they can't kill the tax on its merits. So what do you do? You, mess, you, you dirty up the messenger. You dirty up the guy who's pushing the fair tax, which is Governor Pritzker. You can't really argue that a fair tax... You can't argue against a progressive income tax, graduate income tax. You can, but you're going to lose that argument. So instead, you go after this, and you say this. This is what they're saying, which is it's unbelievable. Pritzker has a problem with his property taxes. He's caught in this bizarre deal where he had a big fancy mansion, took out the toilets just so he could pay less money in property taxes. If you call a building uninhabitable, you pay lower taxes. That's not good. The Fed should go after him for that. He he should be called to account for doing that. If if J.B. Pritzker ran a scam like that to reduce his property taxes by three and a half million, three hundred million bucks, three hundred thousand bucks, then he should be called to account. Mm -hmm. But how is that an argument against a progressive income tax on a statewide basis? It's not. Mm -hmm. But they're trying to do that. They're trying to muddy up Pritzker by saying, hey, he's got a tax problem, so we better not go after this graduated income tax. 
Yeah. I find it offensive. Yeah. So in other words, there's two separate issues uh, in your Absolutely. opinion. One issue is the issue of the Pritzkers and their property tax. And uh, let's just, wherever that goes, we have to follow it and wait to see where that exactly. happens. Exactly. And the second is the very important point of how do we fund government? Who pays what and how much? Uh, whether we go to a fair system where the wealthier pay more than uh, the poor or the working class or the middle class. And uh, so you're, you're saying that they're trying to divert our attention from the principle at stake in a fair tax. I think there is more than trying to divert. I think they're trying to undercut the integrity of the of the champion of the graduated income tax. They're trying to undercut the credibility and integrity of, of Governor Pritzker before it even gets started. Okay. Now, we have a similar thing uh, went down last week, Tom. You were on the show last week, talked a lot about this, when uh, Bernie Sanders, who is uh, running up from the left on the Democratic parties, uh, finally got around to releasing his income taxes last week, finally, I think did 10 years, don't quote me yeah. on that, but he, a number of years, and it, it showed that he'd made quite a bit of money over the last several years, thanks to a couple best-selling books, yeah. and he was a millionaire, and he went on Fox, uh, and they <laughs> they put, they beat him over the coals over that, and uh, Donald Trump tweeted out that if Bernie ta- uh, Bernie's tax, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip, if Bernie Sanders really believes in progressive uh, taxation and is really opposed to the tax break, that... Um, Donald Trump and the Republicans just passed last year, he should voluntarily give back to the federal government the amount of money that he, Bernie Sanders, saved because he's one of the higher earners uh, in, in, in this country. So they're trying to expose what they consider a hypocrisy on the part of relatively well-to-do Democrats who uh, dodge paying, take advantage of tax laws to pay less while espousing that everybody should pay more. What's your thoughts on that? You know, nobody ever does that. Nobody ever says, gee whiz, I think we should pay more taxes, so I'm going to voluntarily pay more to the federal government. What they might do is take that extra money they're not being taxed on, give it to charity if they're lucky, do something like that. I don't think that's the argument. The argument is, what do we require people to pay? If we stand around and wait for Bill Gates to kick back more money, that's just a form of charity. Right. And I don't think it's about charity. It's about obligation. And so we it is expectation is an obligation. It should be a legal requirement. And we shouldn't have to worry about whether they think like Bernie Sanders or they think like Donald Trump. If you're very, very wealthy and you benefit from from all of the opportunities you have in this country, you should be required to kick back taxes at a rate that reflects your success compared to other people. I don't think you should be we should have our tin cup out and hope there are enough Bernie Sanders out there really yeah. put money into it. But do you think it's a successful political ploy uh, by the Republicans? Yeah, I think it is. I think Donald Trump's really good at that. You know, that argument, all of these things are successful only in limited ways. They, they're successful with the people who stare at Fox TV and forgot how to read a book and, you know, and they just get their received wisdom from people like Sean Hannity. But yeah, and among those people, it's very effective. You know, yeah, Bernie really believes this. Why doesn't he just give back his money? Uh, yeah. What I find frustrating, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, uh, but I find it very frustrating when I see your Democrats, in many cases, echoing uh, these arguments, these Rauner-Trump uh, arguments. Uh, in my home ward, the 47th ward in northwest side of Chicago, near northwest side of Chicago, uh, there was a, uh, a contested runoff between uh, Matt Martin and Michael Negrone, and Michael Negrone was assailing Matt Martin, and I've talked about this show, I had Matt Martin as a guest. Martin was victorious in that election, but Negrone, at the end, and 
desperation using money that he got from Rama, ironically, uh, was sending out flyers that assailed Matt Martin for trying to ra- for proposing uh, a uh, income tax, a city income tax on the wealthiest people. And he was using the very arguments uh, that the Rauner and uh, Trump have used that this is a middle class tax hike, even though. It's not a middle-class tax hike. In other words, uh, Tom, it's so intoxicating, this argument, that even Democrats use it from time to time, thus undercutting the efforts of somebody like Pritzker. The the argument of what? The argument that somehow or other any tax hike is a middle-class tax hike, which is a little different than the hypocrisy argument. It's a secondary argument. Tax cut or tax hike? Any tax hike. Any tax hike. This is the argument that... Any any increases in taxes is an increase on the middle class. Yes. Even if it isn't an increase on the middle class. Even if... You know, I think you just have to go back and look at the numbers because... um, the truth is, well, you tell me, uh, under the Pritzker plan, a person who makes $250,000 a year will pay a higher tax under the state Illinois tax. Is 250000 a year middle class? I mean, you tell me. Mm-hmm. In my definition, no. In my definition, I think, I think you've, you've, you've achieved a certain level of income that takes you beyond that. Uh, and that's for an individual, not for a household. So, no, oh, just an individual, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to your idea, our definition, of what middle class is, and we broadly, broadly, nobody ever wants in this country wants to be considered upper class. There's, it, we see ourselves as an egalitarian society, even though we're not. We see ourselves as democracy, which depends on egalitarianism. And if you ask almost anybody, even if they're making a million bucks a year, what are I'm middle class? I'm upper middle class, but I'm middle class. Nobody wants to be seen as rich. Uh, you're absolutely correct. I remember, Ronald. It's a cultural thing. It, it is a cultural thing. And uh, so anyway, yeah. So a good editorial. Everybody read it. Mudding up Pritzker to derail honest vote on better income tax. Uh, and uh, here's another part of the story that's just to make it clear uh, that the Sun-Times, or that Tom was not saying what, what Pritzker allegedly did is good. He wrote, uh, if the feds are looking into the matter, so be it. That's their job. If any laws were broken, Pritzker must answer for that. But we find the timing of the revelation suspicious. The investigation began in October, according to BEZ. We have to wonder if it can be sourced back to the powerful opponents, many of them working in the shadows of graduated income tax. They can't defeat the the plan on its merits, so they're trying to jump it on the low road. Yeah, and just two quick points on that. One is, it was the Sun-Times who originally broke the story about Pritzker's mansions and those toilets. So there's no running away from that story. That's something he has to answer to. And the Sun-Times, as a paper, is very proud to have figured that out, you know, written that story. And secondly, I think WBZ, by the way, did a great job with that story. This is not in any way suggesting that BZ was involved in, or used or anything. They, it's a very good story. McKinney, that, Dave McKinney. That, that the feds, that the feds are looking at Pritzker for the mansion. It's mm-hmm. a very good, legitimate news story, and I think Dave did a good job on it. And, and another frustrating thing about this debate, um, it, you, you point this out in the editorial, and this has uh, also been written about uh, extensively in, the, in all the newspapers, sometimes Tribune, B, it's up and on BZ, is that w- there's these, uh, what do you guys call them, uh, dark groups? Uh, that dark are f- money groups. Dark money groups that are funding this debate. Talk about that a little bit, Tom. Yeah, well, in this particular case, I think it's called Ideas Illinois, and um, it, a lot of it is the old manufacturing, I can't remember his name, but um, the guy used to be head of that. He's, Greg Bays. Yeah, Greg Bays, mm-hmm. who's actually a very charming, likable guy. But I think Greg Bays is sort of the face of the organization. Uh, and he's a very honorable guy. Uh, I don't agree with him a lot, but I, but I enjoy him. 
the money, though, is money that they do not have to reveal. Who's paying Greg's salary? Who's paying for the flack? Who's paying for their expenses? They don't have to reveal. And I, I think that's unfortunate. But before I get all too high and mighty about it, there are a lot of groups that I really admire who do the same thing. And the best example is the ACLU. The ACLU does not reveal its funding sources. And this is historic. This goes back down to the South in 1955, where if someone found out you were giving money to the ACLU, the white supremacist types would have been hanging you. So it was a matter of life and death that if you're going to support this civil liberties group back then, that it be done anonymously. And to this day, the ACLU still does a lot of work where people put themselves on the line and they don't identify their donors. That said, and I've had this argument with the folks at the ACLU, I still think everybody should have to reveal their donors, every group. Yeah, and, and the other group, uh, you said Idea, Ideas Illinois is the one that's against the fair tax. And what's the name of the other group? I've just blanked on it. Uh, there's another uh, dark money group that's um, in favor of the uh, fair tax. I just blanked on the name of it. But uh, most people just assume that J.B. Pritzker is funding uh, that group. Or the unions. Yeah, J.B. Uh, Pritzker or the unions or a combination thereof. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no, there are no, there's no purity in this world, is there? <laughs> no, there's no purity. Hey, it's an impure world. If you're going to get into the fight to a certain degree, I, I hate to say this, you, that's the game. All right, yeah. I've already had this argument with many people. I'm fiercely opposed to the tactic uh, we seek so common uh, in Cook County and Chicago, where you try to knock your opponent off the ballot, so you you win the election by taking advantage of our crazy election laws. Uh, I've had many people sitting in that chair. They vigorously come right back at me. They'll bend. Those are the rules. You got to play by the rules. Just had Jacob Kaplan, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party, coming back at me. So, so if someone had six legitimate six signatures and they're supposed to have 10,000, you wouldn't challenge that? Uh, I'm a libertarian on this issue. I believe we should have open uh, ballot access. So you'd have 20 people on the ballot? The more the merrier, I say. Yeah, this is exactly. In fact, right now, I welcome this. I, we got a, this is the second time I've had this debate this week. What was the argument they used? There's some principle that says uh, the more choices a consumer has, the more confused the consumer gets. And uh, that's, they were, uh, Jacob Kaplan was using that as an example uh, to explain why there was lower uh, voter turnout in this last mayor. Uh, the first round when there were 14 people running, then I pointed out to him that the voter turnout actually fell in the second round uh, when there were only two people running, thus defeating that. So yes, I, I would rather err on the side of having more candidates than less candidates. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's me in that position. All right, let's uh, uh, move on and talk about impeachment. Uh, this is a, a topic that's been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, should the Democrats uh, try to impeach uh, Donald Trump uh, in, the, in the aftermath of the Mueller report? What's your thoughts on this, Tom? Well, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. You know, when you you mentioned earlier that we might talk about this, you you uh, sent me the New York Times article, which, if I'm reading it right, is basically making the case for why it is justified to impeach Trump, as if anybody has to make the case. That article is unnecessary. The New York Times article here, because the Mueller report says he did this, then the Mueller report says he, there is no thinking observant, aware person who has to be convinced that Donald Trump 
is it is worthy of impeachment okay i mean obstruction of justice lying constantly to the american people and really frankly just the low character of the man i'm not quite sure that's impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors but i think i think it'd be very easy to put together a case a legal argument that he should be impeached the question is not that the question is whether politically what are you trying to achieve you start with the first principles what are you trying to gain here are you trying to get rid of Trump? Because if you're trying to get rid of Trump, that won't do it. Mm-hmm. All right? The Senate will never impeach. If you're trying to get rid of Trump, your best shot is to vote him out in 2020. So to me, the people who are arguing for impeachment, I think, and, and, and you know, Ellen Warren, for instance, makes the argument, it doesn't matter. It's a moral issue. You cannot tolerate this man. If impeachment is what should be, we should morally do this. Who cares how the how it all falls politically? And to my answer is I care a great deal mm-hmm. because it's Don Rose, the great, uh, the, the great uh, political, political strategist, strategist yeah. has written. Mm-hmm. And Steve Chapman, again, in the Tribune wrote again today, he said, if you impeach Donald Trump, there's a really, really good chance it'll work in his favor. Because what you'll do is you'll have the House impeach him, and then he'll go to trial in the Senate. And the Senate will exonerate him. It's a Republican Senate. And, and the idea that somehow they're going to roll over and see the light and do the right thing, that's not going to happen. The Republican Senate will never vote him out of office if they have to have an impeachment trial. So then, just before the election comes, Donald Trump is exonerated by the Senate. It will be presented by him as a victory, which it will be in its own weird way. It can only work in his favor. I'm not, this is not my thinking. This is the thinking of Don Rose and a lot, just a lot of folks. Yeah, know. Joe Lockhart just made this argument in the, uh, I forget where I read it. it was just, I think it was the New York Times. He was a former press secretary to Obama, I want to say, or maybe Clinton. I can't remember, but he was a Democratic strategist. He, he made the same argument. Yeah, so, so the question, I go back to these folks who are calling for impeachment right now. To what end? What do you think? How will that resolve? What will happen? Well, if, you, if, we, if we impeach you, if the House impeaches, what's going to happen? Well, I, I look at this with two ways. All right. There's the part of me. I'm a little schizophrenic on this one. Uh, there's the part of me that wants the the Democrats to prevail in this coming election. Very much so. Probably as much as you, if not more. Uh, and uh, so I worry about from a political strat- uh, standpoint, the, the very points that you're making. Yeah. But there's another part of me. Uh, it, it's been this way since I was a little kid, Tom, and you probably share some of these traits. I'm utterly obsessed with news. I'm utterly obsessed with the pursuit of truth. I was like really into Watergate at a very young age. I was really into all all the investigations, Iran-Contra. I was into the Lewinsky investigation. So there's part of me that's obsessed with the truth and wanting to know what happened. And when I when I read the uh, the Mueller report or when I read a cheat sheet, which is what I sent you effectively, a cheat sheet on the Mueller report where they extract yeah. the main accusations against Donald Trump, I want to know more. I want to know. I want to know every single detail I can get. I want to be able to obsess over. It. That's that's just kind of like. So, who if you want I to know am. more, is that an argument for calling for impeachment? A further investigation. Who was on the show yesterday? Uh, it was. It may have been uh, state uh, state representative Ann Williams uh, from the north side of Chicago. What she was saying, and I agree with her, is that uh, she doesn't know if we're ready to uh, officially indict Donald. I mean, an impeachment is an indictment. You would, you, so they would take the Mueller report and issue an indictment. So what she was saying, and I agree, is all right. Let's investigate a little more. And right. that's the fight that's going on now. Right. I don't know if you saw the, the latest is, news. Is Don Rose says, "Sell no wine before it's time. Let's let's keep investigating Trump." 
Trump, and, and which, by the way, is not political. To investigate Trump is completely de- legitimate, given his behavior, given the conflicts of interest, and given what's said in the Mueller report. That's not just trying to string it out and beat up on the guy. That is a very honest probe to understand why he behaves the way he has, his relationships, his financial relations with Russia and other countries. Mm-hmm. That's a very legitimate thing to do, apart from trying to run him out of office. So keep doing that. And I suspect if you ever get his tax returns and if you ever do all these sorts of things you should be investigating, we'll find out more. And maybe at that point, a larger percentage of the American people will come around to the idea that he should be out of office. And if nothing else, it will make it even more obvious that he should not be reelected. So I kind of go with that point of view, which is it's totally appropriate for the House to continue its investigations. It's not a politically motivated thing. I'm sure it is, but it's also very legitimate to do that. And let's just see where that goes. Well, that's the strategy that Nancy Pelosi is following. Nancy Pelosi is distancing herself from the impeachment word, but allowing, uh, you know, allowing the, the sort of the process to take its... Just continue allowing her committee uh, chairs to do what they do and saying, I'm not saying impeachment. You know, I don't even know if impeachment's a good idea. Meanwhile, subpoenas are issued. He's battling it. It's probably going to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, so, yeah, I, I welcome this. I welcome transparency in any way. It's, it's the same thing that strives me to want to know who is contributing to those dark money funds uh, behind yeah. the fair tax argument. I mean, that's just how I'm wired. Now, in terms of uh, Donald Trump's trash talking, uh, which uh, point going back to a point you just made, where no matter what happens, Donald Trump will feel no obligation to abide by the truth. So the Mueller report did not exonerate him. That did not prevent him from saying, I've right. been exonerated. So no matter uh, what happened, Ryan Kelly has entered the room. Ryan Kelly has entered the room. I love when my guests come early. Uh, no matter what happens, Tom, in the uh, ongoing uh, investigation, Donald Trump will say whatever Donald Trump has to say in, if, in what he considers his best political interest. So they could impeach him. They could send him to jail. And he'll say... Which hunt? You got what I'm right. saying? So I don't think the Democrats should worry about what Donald Trump is going to tweet. Because Donald right. Trump is going to tweet what he's going to tweet. That's right. And uh, at some point you have to have faith that, God, I feel naive even saying this time, that most Americans will see through it. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, yes, I, I hope so too. And I don't know. I, I, I have a son who's like 29 years old and he's convinced that Trump will get elected again because he's such a... <laughs> a dim view of the American people. And I tell him, you know, I don't. I have a slightly better view. I, I think we are better than our president. And I, I, I just have this conviction that we'll see that in 2020. All right. right. Now, before I let you get out the door, I have to ask you about the uh, breaking political news of the day. It's no big surprise to anyone. Uh, former, to me, what is it? Oh, well, you know about former Vice President Joe Biden oh. uh, has entered the race. You want to play that uh, clip for just a bit clip, Tom? Get your thoughts on Joe Biden entering the race. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Oh, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are, 
and I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Folks, America is an idea, an idea that's stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. It guarantees that everyone is treated with dignity and gives hate no safe harbor. All right, there we go. Uh, Joe Biden. Are you right when you hear that, Tom? Are you riding with Biden or what's your thoughts on Joe Biden? You know, I'm trying not to be too reactive. The way I look at yeah, first, you got to understand, Ben, I'm the editorial page editor at the Sun Times. So I always, when I'm talking to you, I always have to keep that in mind. I get very, <laughs> I get very passionate about things. Yeah. But I always have told me, I'm not speaking just for myself. I have a title with the paper and I'm here as, you know, the, as the head of the editorial page. I speak for the paper in a certain way, mm-hmm. not all the time. A lot of these comments are mostly my are, my are my own. But for instance, to say I like this particular candidate right now for for the Democrats or that particular candidate, we're, we're almost a year away from the Democratic primary, and there are a lot of people running. I'm just getting to understand them. I've always kind of respected and liked Joe Biden. I also understand his flaws. Um, so good luck to him. Uh, you know, I like Ellen Warren, and, and now... There are people, you know, she seems to be fading. And now you have this other guy, the Mayor Pete. Um, oh, Elizabeth I mean, Warren. Yeah. When you said, I thought you said Ellen Warren. Elizabeth Warren, yeah. Excuse me, Elizabeth Ellen Warren. Did Warren I say Ellen? Be, Did I yeah, say Ellen? There's a writer. She's a reporter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ellen Warren. That's what the yeah, first she's time. a reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth no, Warren. I mean Elizabeth yeah, Warren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, her view on impeachment, for instance, I think it's a little bit too over the top. I, I just think sometimes she should do what we're talking about here. We're going to have to do some disclaimers when Tom comes on. Uh, the views expressed by Tom McNamee are not necessarily those of the Sun-Times, even though he's the right yeah, to the editorials. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the truth. But the most interesting thing about the Joe Biden thing is you see the tweet from Trump immediately? Yes, we talked about that. We he had insults him in two ways. First, he calls him Sleepy Joe. Yeah. So right there, there's the personal, physical character assassination. And then he questions his, his basic intelligence. Yeah. In one tweet, right out of the box. Yeah. I'm telling you, uh, Donald Trump is a afraid of Joe Biden. Really? I'm telling you, in my humble opinion, he's afraid of Joe Biden. Because uh, Conventional wisdom is that Joe Biden just represents sort of the type, the archetype of a centrist Democrat that could win back the states that flipped for Donald Trump, presuming that uh, the Democratic Party's base, which are basically uh, black voters, stay with him. And that's why I'm very excited. Mary Mitchell wrote about it today, about Stacey Abrams being Joe Biden's running mate. And I urge everybody to read Mary Mitchell's column. Well, think about Joe. Joe knows how to say things in, like... Uh, t- in a way that relates to real people. He, he is, his language is simple, his sentiments are pure, and I think he connects with real people. He does. And I think that's what probably Trump worries about, about most. All right, Tom, it's always a blast talking to you. Bring you, you back too. real soon. Ryan Kelly is waiting in the wings. We'll bring on our union man, Ryan Kelly, when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey everybody, producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show, which by the way, live streamers, check this out, which is video live streamed. Oh, that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it is moments. Oh, what was that, Ben? Trippy. Oh, super trippy. <laughs> <sighs> All right, let me go back out, take it up there. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show, hour number two is moments. And I say moments away. But before we go any further, we once again need to thank the following unions for helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. All right, first up. It's the union the feller sitting next to me is in. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. No, Ben, not Aerosmith, <laughs> Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. Shout out to Jeff Johnson. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Shout out to the big feller, Ed Maher. And thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two on video. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Starts now. It is Thursday, April 25th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Ryan Kelly joins us, and we welcome State Senator Ram Vilivalam. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Ryan Kelly's in the studio with me. Ron Vilivalam is on his way. He is the state senator who uh, sponsored the Right to Work Zone bill uh, in the uh, just the a couple of weeks ago, I want to say, maybe a month or so ago. And he also has uh, uh, the uh, labor bill, uh, SB 75, which has to do with labor issues with hotel workers. So lots of labor issues to talk about with State Senator Ron Billy Vallon. But uh, we got Ryan Kelly in the studio right now. Yes, what you got for me, young man? I got some updates here, people. Uh, we are now live, by the way, and we have some updates here. First off, we want to remind everyone. I'll give my notes here. All right, yeah, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Benny J Show. And uh, wait, hold on a second. Let me get my notes here. Yeah, it's a crazy day here. All right, here we go. Updates. First off, if you are one who listens to the download of the Ben Jarofsky Show, and if you've asked yourself, hmm, 
wonder what these guys look like. Well, <laughs> prepare to be disappointed. Today's show was live streamed on video. Go check it out on both the Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com and chicagoreader.com. Just look for the Ben Jarofsky Show at the top of both pages. We'll plan on doing this every day. How's it going? So uh, we hope you'll join us live and check it out sometime. All right. Also, yesterday, he came in our studio. He put on the headphones, and I recorded the whole thing. It's our our Saturday bonus interview. <laughs> oh, yeah. Last week, we had WBEZ's David McKinney as a bonus. We all got to hear the taped phone conversations and the potty mouth on our former governor, Rob Lagojevich. That was a fantastic was interview. Good stuff. Yep. This week is another damn entertaining bonus interview, if you ask me. Ben talked one-on-one with Fox 32 investigative reporter Mike Flannery. Yeah, Flannery was in the studio, man. Yeah, Flannery, we had a lot of fun. That's outstanding. What did you guys talk about? Well, Mike Flannery... Mike Flannery has been around uh, even longer than I have. I didn't know that was uh, physically possible. That's not right? actually possible. No. He's an anomaly then. Uh, yeah, he's been around. He, he's from your neck of the woods. He's from the Beverly area. Actually, he's from Washington. So anyway, we talked about uh, <laughs> Chicago politics then and now, what it's like to cover City Hall under under all-powerful Mayor Richard uh, J. Daly. goes back to the 70s, uh, the Harold Washington years, uh, Ray, uh, Mayor Rahm, uh, and um, uh, the uh, Baby Daly. So a lot of political talk, historical uh, perspective is thoughts on where we're going uh, with Lori Lightfoot as our mayor. So just sort of a, uh, we took, the, uh, took a nice little chat, conversation, political deep dive with Mike Flannery, who knows a thing or two about Chicago politics. It's a fantastic interview. It's going to be available for download on Saturday. It's a bonus interview, all right? It's something that we do every week. Go check it out. All right. As Grandpa Joe gets ready to run for president, Joe, don't forget your heating pad. You'll be a mess without it, okay? <laughs> we have an Alderman Ed Burke update. Oh, yeah, you know, the guy who got reelected while being under uh, FBI investigation, that guy, yeah. yeah. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one John Seidel. Federal prosecutors have asked for more time to seek an indictment against Alderman Edward Burke in the corruption case that rocked City Hall earlier this year. The feds are facing a May 3rd deadline to seek an indictment from a grand jury after Burke was charged with attempted extortion in a criminal complaint in early January. Now they have asked for an additional 35 days to seek that indictment. The new deadline would be June 7th, five months after Burke was first charged. In making their request, prosecutors said, quote, the government is conducting a diligent and thorough investigation into this case, but certain factors have led to this request for an extension. These factors include the complex nature of this public corruption case and the fact that he that the investigation is ongoing. Mm, something's going on there. I don't know what it is. We should bring Seidel in to explain it, John Seidel. I don't know what that what that's all about. Uh, well, but. he works with the Sun-Times. Side out! <laughs> Where are you? All right. I'll look for him it. while you talk with Ryan Kelly. All I right. don't feel there's a lot of soundproofing here. They may have actually heard you, dude. <laughs> Side out! Yeah, there you are. Here he comes in. <laughs> Uh, all right, Ryan <laughs> Kelly uh, is my guest, uh, and Ryan and I usually talk uh, labor issues, political issues, but Ryan, uh, you got very personal on your Facebook page yesterday, and I just said, well, you know, let's just, just talk about this a little bit. Um, it has to do with the story that a lot of people in the city of Chicago are following. We haven't talked about it uh, on the air because it's not directly political or a political show, but uh, uh, the very sad, tragic story of the five-year-old boy, uh, Andrew A.J. Uh, Freund, uh, who um, was uh, murdered, apparently, allegedly, by his parents uh, in Crystal Lake, and just pretty much everybody in the city of Chicago is talking about it. It's from Page News. Uh, uh, tell folks a little bit about what uh, you just, was it just straight from your heart? You just, you just went with this? Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just went off. Um, 
I try to be very reasonable with my Facebook posting, my social media presence, and so on, but I speak my mind. Um, but on this one, I basically said the gloves are off because, you know, in labor and politics and so on, and this is why it's relevant, is we're all, I think, well, at least most people, I would hope, are advocating to make a better world for their kids. I have four young daughters, and it's one of those things where when you hear or see something like this, it just just uh, it, it invokes a response, and I can't imagine just what this kid went through. I, I can't imagine a parent that could parents that could be part of this sort of thing, and it's it just a it's just a, such a sad situation. And you know, there's been things said that were. Well, maybe AJ's at peace, and you know, I hope the little man is at peace. But with that said, um, my hats off to the all the people in law enforcement that really bust their their butts to get this done, and 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 you know, pressure these people and question these people and interrogate these people to ultimately get the response. Because my response was driven by the report yesterday that they did some. Uh, you call it electronic um, uh, sleuthing, if you will, and found out through some, I don't know if it was text messaging or, or whatever the case is, there was some coordination between the parents and we're ultimately able to present that information and the parents ultimately, you know, came clean mm -hmm. or, if you will, alluded to where the young man lied to rest. Yeah. And that's just terrible. It, it's terrible in so many different ways. I don't want to go too far into it, but as a parent, you know, it, it's just something that it, you talk about monsters of the world. You tell your kids there aren't monsters, but there are. And it, it's these two individuals, these people that do these atrocious things to, to small children and small children just, you know, they're so innocent. They don't do anything out of vain. And, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I think it's, I think everybody's dumbfounded by it. And I, I just hope what's appropriate happens to these people. And if there is an afterlife, I hope they pay the consequences for it tenfold. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, as, uh, my kids are grown, but so I've been through all the phases of life, uh, of raising a kid, you know, from the early age of five, et cetera, all the way into high school and so forth. Uh, and you know, when your kids encounter other kids, sometimes you see children that, you know, are in a rough way. Uh, sure. I'm not this far, Absolutely, these, dude. these yeah. uh, you know, these, these, uh, parents that would kill somebody, but well, you, you just, just see, see kids that are not way. treated as well. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, maybe they got holes in their shoes or mm -hmm. they got, you know, I mean, you know that I, I'm not that old that I remember being young and I, I, I do, you know, there was just, you know, uh, you could just tell with some kids and th that kid, I, I just don't even know, man. Like it's, if that's a sign of society right now, I don't think it is because these things happen and it's unfortunate that they happen, but it, it just opens a broader conversation. And I just, I just feel terrible about the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing just sucks.
Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's it. But uh, anyway, so there'll be further uh, stories about this, The uh, you know, whether the state should have gotten involved earlier, whether there was evidence uh, that would uh, have motivated uh, state officials uh, to take the kid out and put, it, uh, put him in a foster home. All the stuff will come out. Uh, and uh, eventually, and it'll be a bigger story than what it is right now, but it's, it's a very depressing moment, and it was just like a, uh, I, I kind of got where you were going from with that Facebook po- post, which was just, just sort of like a combination of, of, of rage. And, it was rage and hate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I, I'm just, I'm yeah. thoroughly disappointed, and I'm a very uh, cool customer in a lot of items, but that's one of those things where, you know, the youth, I mean, I advocate for workers, adult people mm-hmm. in the workforce i do that so that my kids have a better way of life potentially when they hit the workforce and that kid never even had a shot at getting there so that it's really unfortunate all right so let's uh, move on talk about your advocacy for our workers the uh at the top of the list i have to ask you about the the negotiations with the tribune tell folks a little bit about what that's all about well, yeah, um, we have represented workers, uh, the gentlemen who repair these huge press machines at the uh, Chicago Tribune in, in different capacities since the 1930s or so. Um, we've had a bargaining unit there. It's actually impressive. We've got such a an archive of our history down at the Tribune Printing Center. But I mean, at times, you know, when, when the Sun-Times printed their own newspaper, we also represented workers there. And when that shut down, a lot of those workers came over to the Trib. The Chicago Tribune Publishing Company um, prints pretty much every major newspaper in the Chicagoland area. They're the big print house. And through consolidations that have gone on over the years, and you know, they've, they've just done what they've done. So we are in negotiations with that company right now. Our workers there have not received a wage increase in seven years. And it's too early to really call anything, but you know, we're going to say we hope the company does the right thing. I mean, the reality speaking, if you don't take a wage increase during this specific time frame, in this case, seven years, you've actually lost 14% in potential wages if you're only keeping up with inflation. Mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen how it goes. Um, I always try to remain optimistic, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep our eye close on that, and I think the labor community will be too. Are there uh, the Tribune is also uh, the News Guild is involved with, with the? Uh, I had them on my old show. Uh, they organized the, um, the the reporters at the Tribune and the writers at the Tribune for the first time ever uh, formed a collective bargaining unit with the News Guild. So is there some kind of uh, com- some kind of alliance that's brewing between these two? Well, forces? you know, I I, o- I always open the door to working together with other labor, labor organizations. I mean, it pulls us all up as an average. And, you know, we really, at the end of the day, it's just going back to what I always say. I mean, like, it, regardless of your craft or your trade or what you do for a living, we all got to make a living. And so we always partner up with anybody that's willing to do so. So. Uh, we'll put that out there. All right. Did you hear that news, Gil? Come on, Craig. Get in on that. Uh, all right. Now, uh, in other labor news, uh, you Steve Lester from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. He's been on the show twice great once guy. with you. Great guy. Yeah, great. And he was with. He was here last week as well. Very frustrating strike. Yeah, he was uh, on with Eddie Maher, man. Yeah, that was Eddie awesome. Eddie Maher. And uh, so uh, I went on one of my, uh, uh, you know, what's on my call rants last week uh, when Lester was here because I couldn't believe we were in the seventh week of the strike or the right. sixth week. And 
I was like, where is our leadership? And I said, come on, Mayor Rahm, you got to get involved in this thing. You got to get in the middle of this. This is the world class. You want this to be a tourist town that people from all over the world come? You can't have your symphony orchestra on strike. And so I went on this thing. Anyway, lo and behold, I get this text from my heart today. <laughs> hey, Ben. He wakes me up at like the ungodly early hour of uh, 930. 930 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I know when you don't answer yeah. the phone. Yeah. So uh, he goes, hey, Ben, you see this? And it turns out that Mayor Rahm uh, is getting involved. And then he said, uh, the Ben Jarofsky show, I think he said it's like the Fox News. What's that Fox in the morning show that Fox has? Oh, Fox and Friends. Fox and, We're the Fox and Friends of Rahm Emanuel. You know, like Trump watches Fox uh, and Friends. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So you better say something like, maybe you want to ask Rahm to get involved in your issue with the Tribune. Uh, maybe it'll help you out well, there. Well, like I said, uh, when I was here next to Steve Lester, they were just kind of en- entering into their second or third week of their strike. Uh, you know, CSO management, get your stuff together because these are great ambassadors to our to our city. And the mayor getting involved tells me that, you know, he probably agrees with that. And it's one of those things where it's it's just common sense. I mean, it's one of those things. Maybe it gets neglected because it's just it's always been there. So it's like we treat it like it's something normal. No, you got to these people provide value to our city that you almost can't even measure in wages or pension contributions or what your health care costs. I mean, these people are ambassadors for our city. They not only make performances here and perform in different places throughout the city, Grant Park, so on, and, and paint our city in such a great light. They also travel abroad and, you know, perform in other areas. And like I said, having lived in another city, in Boston, we had the Boston Pops, we have the the, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and so on and so forth. Um, each city has its own orchestra, and each orchestra, as a former musician, folks, just so we're clear, you know, it, the dynamic between the individuals is what makes music good. They're not just reading notes. I mean, it's it's how a person trills a note. It's how they bend a note. It's how they, uh, for, for, for Lester, how he, you know, attacks the double bass mm-hmm. and how he builds it or swells it or does all this different stuff. That is what matters. And that's what makes our orchestra, our orchestra in the city. And you know what? I'm very satisfied to hear that Rahm Emanuel has gotten involved with that. I think it's uh, going to bring some common sense to the table and Let's get that deal done, folks. All right. Now, in general, how much do you think uh, elected officials should get involved? You know, uh, on this show, we, I have a lot of strikers come on all the time and they're pressing their case and they're using sure. this opportunity uh, to articulate whatever they want. I, I, I believe in giving them that forum. Uh, and uh, but how much should a politician get involved in your humble opinion? Like, for instance, you know, you got this negotiation you got with the Tribune. Obviously, there's no strike yet. Uh, Maybe there won't be a strike, but the point is, how much should uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago get involved? Uh, this has always been considered a union town, so how much should the mayor uh, get involved in these kinds of negotiations? I, th- I think that's going to depend on the politician and the constituency, and, and I mean, like they, from place to place, district to district, and so on. That's all going to change. So I mean, um, I, I'm not really, I'm not sure. I mean, the 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 point is in this case. It has happened. Somebody has stepped in and actually said, okay, enough is enough. Because obviously, we're at, well, the company, having offered a last, best, and final, has declared impasse. Um, But with that said, now there are uh, elected officials stepping in saying, well, maybe we can mediate the situation a little bit differently and, and have both sides look at the ball a little bit differently. And 
that's often how you crack the ice on a, on a cold negotiation. In my experience, sometimes it takes someone else stepping in to just say, Hey, what are you guys really arguing over here? Um, where can savings be made? Where can, you know, where, where can we find a common ground as opposed to it? You know, as negotiations often deteriorate, you end up with people that are just, um, their feet are in cement and, you know, both sides, uh, admittedly, can get stuck. And sometimes it takes uh, an in- intermediary to come in and change that. And we'll see how this shakes out. All right. Now, last, best, and final. When Steve was here on the show last week, he talked about how the uh, the management had given their, quote, last, best offer. I think that's what they, the exact quote well, it, is. Well, the, the term is last, best, and final. But, okay, last, best, and final. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Ryan, seriously, how can you have a last, best, and final and then ongoing negotiations. Uh, when you're organizing workers, when you, you, you get people to do the very difficult thing of going out on strike mm-hmm. and putting their livelihood and their family at risk, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and they get exposed to a last, best, and final, that makes it, that's very dramatic uh, showdown, ultimatum. What do you tell workers to tell them, well, you know, this is really just part of negotiations, or what do you tell them? Well, I'm gonna tell you what, it basically means the, the company's done negotiating. Um, for the layperson, it's essentially done. The company is done. There's no more movement back and forth. Uh, you're not going to say 15. I'm going to say 10. You're going to say 14. I'm going to say 11. That's over. They're they're done with it. And uh, providing they've been bargaining in good faith throughout um, and they've hit their limit, then essentially what's going to happen is they implement their last, best, and final, indicating somewhat of what we call a, uh, an impasse. And then the bargaining unit pretty much has a choice of either striking or accepting the offer. I mean, like that's basically how it breaks down. There's a little more to it, but um, it's an unfortunate situation. We see that more and more in um, bargaining nowadays. And uh, it's just not a good indicator of, well, the financial well-being of some entities in this country right now where, you know, we talk about the the massive tax breaks companies have gotten, yet we're still not seeing, um, you know, throughout these massive tax breaks, we're seeing an influx in strikes. I mean, people are asking, where is the trickle down? <laughs> and and we all know that, well, at least people on our end of the, the, the line of thinking that trickle down has never actually been a, a real thing. Um, it's not quantified in any sort of metric uh, because wages when adjusted for inflation, have essentially been stalled. And in fact, in some cases, gone down when you factor in fringe benefits and so on for the working guy since 1980. I mean, we've just been on a long, slow slide. And I think the increase in strikes has basically indicated that people have had enough. Mm -hmm. And I think they have had enough. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say, when it, uh, I've never been at that point in a, uh, a contract negotiation, a labor negotiation where we're on strike, like the Chicago Symphony Orchestra workers. But I think it. What, what the lesson is, I would take. You always have to have. You know, just you, you just have to. Um, be able to distance yourself. Uh, you have to have some perspective, some long-range perspective. So when you hear last, best, and final, you think literally it means last, best, and final. But you know what? It may not mean last, best, and final, if you get what I'm saying, because they're back at it. You know what I'm saying? So if they're back at it, they must be willing to negotiate Well, something. we don't know if they're back at it. I mean, like, we just know that the, the mayor's decided to step in. 
We'll see how that yeah. works out. Yeah, at least they're talking to him. All right. Uh, one of the, the news items you sent to me was one of these peculiarities. It was actually uh, a, a TIF proposal that I could have supported. <laughs> of course, it had it was nowhere near the city of take, Chicago. Take that, take that down, folks. Uh, yeah. Well, there are some that you know. I, I in the old days. No, then I know where you're at on TIFs. So yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but there were some. Yeah. Pro, I, I remember early on, I would like write. I could support this one. I could support that one. You know right, what I mean? I right. pick and choose and like where they are and what they would do and who they'd put to work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this was one, this is an interesting case from outside of Chicago. Uh, I think it was in Indiana, uh, if I'm correct. So Peru, talk about Peru. Indiana, mm-hmm. um, a company, well-known company, Schneider Electric. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a very large company. They have, um, they make a lot of stuff that is in the building uh, industry and things like that. And that's obviously been on the uptick and during the last few years. And, there was contract, uh, well, I shouldn't say contract negotiations. Well, I mean, basically what happened was the company announced they were going to leave. And in an interesting move, that our union, the IAM, um, our territory, um, GLRs, and, and so on, um, really took the initiative and worked with the political folks down in Peru, Indiana, to come up with a very comprehensive plan because the company cited, you know, we need this specific number of savings and the IAM and the, the, the elected officials down there in Peru work together to like find contract concessions along with tax incentives to, you know, say, Hey, we can meet you there. We'll meet, we'll meet your number. I mean, and Schneider electric said, sorry, we're still moving now, folks, that is 300 people. In Peru, Illinois. Oh, in, in Peru, Illinois. My oh, I'm sorry, not yeah. Peru, Illinois. I'm, I'm sorry, Peru, Indiana. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, Peru is not a large town. And when I always try to emphasize to people, it's 300 individuals' jobs, but that's 300 families. That's 300 maybe wives or husbands or one to four or five kids that have health benefits and are able to get the shoes that don't have the holes in them and all this other stuff that even after the work and the concessions that were offered by the workers and then ultimately the concessions that were offered by the taxpayers through their elected representatives, this company, when when that number was met, the company still walked away. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we talk about the trickle down. I want to see it. I haven't gone into the financials of Schneider Electric, but I mean, I'm one of those people. The company says we need savings. This is why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that into consideration. But if you go through all that work and all that lobbying to get you know everybody on board, and then you still, then they still leave. I mean, that's that's unfathomable to me. It's it's just the sign of the times. Um, and we see this over and over again, and. There's not, you know, we've seen this at uh, at Siemens, um, our organization in particular at Siemens, another big company that just, you know, we're moving. That's it. We're sorry. Um, we saw it at Hostess years ago, not our union, but, you know, they call it the great Twinkie caper. Um, you know, workers offered concessions, concessions, concessions uh, to turn a company around because Hostess wasn't doing so well. And company started coming around the worker said okay well you know we we want ours now let's mm-hmm. let's start building up our pension and let's start building up our wages and like let's get back to the status quo 
and they basically just shut the company down. The executives got a bunch of golden parachutes, and then the company was sold for a very, what we would call a small amount of money when you're talking capital, and then, you know, was bought for a very large amount of money, and I mean, that that was just, uh, well, folks, look it up. Look it up. The, the Great Twinkie Caper, it's actually one of the funniest um, stories I've actually ever read. It, it was one of that blew my mind in the sense of how could people sleep at night doing this stuff? Yeah. Uh, uh, that is Ryan Kelly. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and I'm happy to stay. State Senator Ram Vilivalam has entered the building. Ram Vilivalam has entered the room. We'll bring him on when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. All right, commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we're live from the Chicago Sun-Times. State Senator Ron Vilevalam has joined us in the studio. Ryan Kelly, I twisted his arm and locked the door. He can't leave. We're keeping him around for a little, at least a half an hour. Coercion, man. Uh, coercion. coercion. Yeah, we force him to stay. Uh, Rom, a Rom I really like in uh, Chicago politics. <laughs> I love Mayor Rom. Come on, everybody knows Wow, that. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is... 
such a drastic departure from like when I first appeared on this show. I mean, <laughs> Mayor Rahm, Mayor Rahm, Mayor Rahm. Now you're like, wow, man, he's helping out the well, Symphony yeah, Orchestra. He, yeah. Uh, he, Finally, okay? He did, he's helping the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So what are you saying right now? I'm showing some What is love. your statement? My, my <laughs> statement is I'm showing some love for Mayor Rahm because he's doing the right thing. When Mayor Rahm does the right thing, I show the love, baby. It's, it's not a permanent thing. That is live and downloaded forever. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, State Senator Rahm, uh, I love this State Senator Rahm as well. So welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming in, Rahm. Absolutely. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, before we uh, get into some of the labor issues today, some of the political issues today that you have on your agenda, uh, tell folks a little about you. You're the uh, state senator from a district on the northwest side of Chicago, uh, West Riders Park. But uh, how did you get involved in politics? It's a great question. You know, it's an honor for me to represent the 8th District. It has 21 neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, six suburban municipalities, Lincoln Woods, Skokie, Niles, Morton Grove. So it's half city, half suburbs incredible diversity uh, most number of south uh, asian americans most number of jewish americans out of any district in the state uh, and so it's quite quite an honor to represent uh, that that constituency i got involved you know quite honestly uh, back in in high school i i was uh, I, I came across an organization called junior statesman of america a student-led organization and um, really um, started to lobby and advocate and went to George Washington, and, and kind of the rest is history. Um, but I, I still always go back to you know where I came from. You know, my parents came here from India in the 1970s. My dad was an engineer in, t- in India. My mom was a teacher, but they couldn't get those jobs here when they first got here. They had to work as a dishwasher and a cashier, making two dollars and thirty cents an hour, and everything was a struggle. You know, and eventually uh, they were able to go back to school, get get uh, degrees here, and, and finish with you know, 25, 30 plus years in uh, public service. And uh, fortunately for me, by the time I was born, we were getting into the middle class. And um, But it's, it's something that I'll never forget. Their struggle is something that I hear as I knock on doors and what keeps me going, quite honestly. Now, uh, when I was talking to you uh, on the phone a couple of weeks ago when, we were, uh, when I invited you to the show, you told me something interesting about yourself. Uh, yes, you're the son of immigrants from India, uh, but you had sort of like a diverse background, if you will, when you, you were going to grammar school. Talk about that. You went to Beasley Elementary. Tell folks what Beasley is all about. Yeah, I know because I love <laughs> basketball, but a lot of people may not know. Yeah, people don't know this about me. And, and I, honestly, I think that's why I, I, I take the approach that I do on an Lot of different issues. We have to take a holistic approach. So I went to uh, kindergarten through fourth grade. I went to Sayre Language Academy on the northwest side of Chicago. Um, fifth and sixth grade, I went to Beasley Academic Center. And then seventh and eighth, I went to Skinner Classical. And then I went on to Lincoln Park High School. So uh, for, for those of you following at home, <laughs> kinder, kindergarten through fourth grade, Sayre Language Academy, northwest side, Beasley Academic, 5000 South State Street. Uh, right across the Robert Taylor Homes and Skinner Classicals is in the West West Loop area. Uh, and so I went from an all-white school to an all-black school to a mixed school, and then Lincoln Park was also mixed. And uh, to me, um, getting exposed to the different communities, the different cultures, uh, could not have been more important, uh, you know, for, for wh- what I am doing today and how I've uh, come to have the views that I do and, and the work ethic and um, just the approach as well. Now, Beasley, uh, right across from Robert Taylor Homes, where uh, uh, 
Derrick Rose, one of the greatest basketball players ever come out of the city of Chicago. So when you said he went to Beasley, I go, did you know Derrick Rose? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I wish. Uh, yeah. But uh, so were you the only Indian American kid in that school? I was. I was for, for fifth and sixth grade, at least in my grades for sure. And I'm pretty sure uh, with regards to the rest of the school, um, I was the only Indian American. And I got to tell you, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the level of education and um in each of these communities, uh, I'll tell you what, there's not a shortage of, um, there may be a shortage of funding, but there's not a shortage of talent, you know, and I, I say that, you know, because I, uh, was on, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to admit some things here today. I was, uh, I was on the math team, uh, at, at, at Beasley and, uh, what a nerd. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Academic poll. Uh, there you go. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, I'll tell you, you know, it was incredibly competitive and I got my, my butt kicked a couple yeah. times, uh, because of, of the talent. And it just, it goes to show you that it's, it's not about, um, you know what people are capable of it's about making sure that each community has the resources to to get them there well the stereotype of course would be the any american kid uh would be the star of the math team uh and uh but in fact as you pointed out uh you there were kids uh black kids from uh, the Beasley school who were better than you but what people don't know is on the back basketball court rom would block derrick rose's shot steal the <laughs> ball from, dunked on him a couple times isn't that true uh so i, I he's so I, humble i, I mean <laughs> Wow. I made a promise to be honest uh, okay, in my tenure, yeah. so I'm going I'm to have to go ahead and talk <laughs> None of that happened. No, 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 that would have been a nice little happen. twist. I, it would have. I would have liked to say that, but it <laughs> no. was not the case. Uh, and so then, of course, Lincoln Park High School is one of the most diverse high schools in the city of Chicago on the uh, north side of the city. Uh, all kinds of kids from all Absolutely. over the city. I, I, would, I would even probably venture to say it was almost equal um, in representation from Asian Americans, African Americans, Latino Americans, uh, Caucasians, uh, there, there was so so much diversity there, and um, again, it's just it's something that's uh, contributed to who I am today and and why I take the policy positions that I do. All right, so you were this is your rookie. Uh, you defeated Iris Silverstein, who's been around for a long time, a uh, long time name in Chicago politics. How did that happen? How did you defeat Ira? Well, look, I think. A couple things, right? One is uh, people uh, are are not okay with the fact that um, we um, are, are uh, have been society has been cavalier about sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, meet the Me Too movement is real, um, so that's something that obviously Senator Silverstein had had faced uh, in violating the Ethics Act and acting on becoming a legislator. Um, I think the second part, though, is much more broader in what we've seen. Um, that has taken place in the legislature. We have 51 um, out of 177 legislators that are new. That means 30% of the legislature um, is new within the last two years. Um, I think that is attributed to uh, the fact that uh, there's a desire to have a new generation in government, um, people that are proactive, progressive, that um, are really going out of their way to be effective. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that combination of 30% new, while having people that have been there uh, in Springfield that have some institutional knowledge um, is important as we move forward. Okay, and uh, so one of your first uh, bills, a right to work zone bill, uh, talk about that, eradicate. <laughs> I think Ryan is with you on this one. I, I, Immediately, you jumped on board on that, with uh, labor. Uh, so, talk about why you would uh, 
you know, one of your first uh, bills, one of your first uh, acts as a legislature would a legislator would be uh, a pro labor bill, right? And talk about the bill itself. Yeah, no, again, it, it comes from it comes from you know who I am, who my parents were. Uh, you know, they had to struggle for everything, right? You know, being immigrants, being uh, having worked minimum wage jobs. So I've seen the labor movement how they pull people pull people together i've been a part of that those efforts um you know making sure that people can earn a living wage making sure they can work in good working conditions um that's what we should be doing in the state of illinois and quite frankly across the nation uh so this is labor issues are incredibly important to me because i can even though i don't come from a union family I come from a working class family, and um, I wish my parents had a union when they were when they were working where they did, and uh, and so, you know, that's how I come to labor issues. This this legislation was something that, quite honestly, I wanted to pick up and, and run with, because of the destruction that we've seen Rauner uh, do over the last four years. Uh, this is a governor that you know had focused in on one issue, which was. We want to. I want to break unions. You know, you try to talk to him about the budget. I want to break unions. You try to talk to him about a capital. But I want to break unions, and um, he had just an absolutely wrong approach about how we lift up Illinois. And um, I wanted to pass this legislation because I wanted to settle the debate once and for all. Right to work has no place in the state of Illinois. Period. And I think another piece of it is the fact that this might be taken up at the Supreme Court level. Um, and, and I think that's something that we're going to be seeing. Talk about what exactly right to work is. I've explained it in the past. I've had conversations with Ryan on this subject many times. Some of our listeners. Maybe, maybe once or twice. Twice, three, four, five. <laughs> yes. Maybe some of our listeners it's are. It's been a constant. Uh, but I, but please, the floor is yours. Yeah, explain what right yes. to work is. Oh, and, and please jump in. You know, look, right, right to work is the idea, is really the idea of right to work for less. It's, 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 an, it's an ideology that essentially says, we don't want you to organize as a, as a collect, collective workers. We don't want you to be able to collectively bargain for more wages and more benefits. Um, it's an opportunity to drive down wages, drive down uh, working conditions, um, and really um, is it, something that's harmful to working class uh, people. And, and ultimately within right to work, it's also to degrade what little is left of unionization in this country, which is, you know, decreased dramatically since the 70s. I mean, I think we had a high water marker in the the low to mid 30s uh, percentile for, you know, working class folks being unionized. And just so happens it coincides with like what everybody considers the glory years mm -hmm. of this country. And uh, right to work, um, you know, it's painted a lot of different ways by its advocates. And again, right to work for, for less. Yeah. <laughs> um, and ultimately, what it, what it comes down to is this. It's allowing people to free ride our contracts. That's what it means. It means, like, if you pay for homeowners, um, you pay homeowners association fees, your neighbor next to you doesn't have to pay the fees, but he still gets a new tree put out in front of his house. He still gets his furnace fixed, and he still gets all that other stuff. He doesn't have to pay the freight on the legalities that are you know, that are associated with that. He does not have to take any of the freight on, you know, lobbying to get, um, you know, a park in the, you know, one section of of the area. And this carries over to like auto insurance, anything. You know, you're paying something as a yeah. as a member of society. And within that, 
so the guy next to you can opt out with no penalty whatsoever. So it's a a, a neat little rhetorical trick uh, that uh, anti-union advocates have done. They've taken this concept that sounds great, right to work. Everybody has a right to work. We have a (laughs) fundamental right to work. But what what really what is embedded that you have a right to work from their perspective without joining the union that is representing you. And so if you give the person a right to opt out of the union, you weaken the union. You give the union has uh, less money to operate and organize workers. And therefore, uh, as uh, Ryan is saying, you're essentially riding for free on the backs of everybody else who's paying uh, for the union and, and bargaining in good faith for your contract, et cetera, et cetera. And so under uh, in, under uh, Bruce Rauner, there was an, an attempt to, to set up zones in the state of Illinois. Yeah. Right. Talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, I think he, he got the message loud and clear from the legislature that we're not going to create a statewide right to work law. So he tried to create right to work uh, zones um, through, you know, putting pressure on um, the mayors and trustees of different municipalities. And the village of Lincolnshire, to give you a perspective, you know, we have uh, 1,300 municipalities, 102 counties. Uh, there's only 48 that took up the, the resolution of right to work and only 22 have passed them. Um, so it, suffice to say that the, the message is still loud and clear to all the municipalities that right to work has place, no place in Illinois. But the village of Lincolnshire took it up and they voted for it, and um, there was a, there's a lawsuit. Um, so essentially what's happening and why this law is incredibly important, even now, because we can, we can all say we know we have a governor that agrees with us that right to work has no place in Illinois, but the cir- Sixth Circuit Court ruled that um, essentially that municipalities can create right to work zones. The Seventh Circuit said no, they can't, and the National Labor Relations Act, Section 14B says, the regulation of collective bargaining can only be done by states and U.S. territories. That's correct. And um, I've been to Lincolnshire. They have some good places to eat. But as far as <laughs> I'm concerned, they are not, not, state, they're, right? they're not a state or a U.S. territory. So um, this law they may want to be, but right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- this law makes it unequivocally equivocally clear that um, right to work, uh, the regulation of collective bargaining is lies with states and U.S. territories. That's what we wanted to make clear to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I want to ask you a question. If you, it, I'm sure you remember this, but you know it, the term is right to work zones, but what Ronner was calling it was worker empowerment yeah, zones. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about how you spin um the language and and how you that that's like the definition of spin, but ultimately, worker empowerment zones. Let's not just call it right to work. First off, anybody that has a job, if their employer is doing their due diligence, all of them should be citizens of the country, etc. Yeah. So as a result, they all have the right to work. So that's a mute point, but you know, again, they play the words. But let's play it even further. Worker empowerment zones sounds great, right, folks? You're not being empowered by this. In fact, you're being depowered by this. <laughs> yeah, no, it, there's there's a larger fight going on, uh, and there's a larger fight. It's an age-old fight uh, between you know capital and labor, uh, and there's always going to be that tension. We talked about this earlier. You know, the negotiations between the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and the striking uh, orchestra workers. Generally, people are acting in good faith. You'll come to an agreement. You'll have a contract, and you'll sign it. But uh, 
outside the bounds of good faith, there's been an effort for the last 30 or 40 years uh, by uh, the the business community, if you will, vestiges of the business community, to eradicate these laws that uh, Rom give workers the right to organize and collectively bargaining, and they come up with these Orwellian phrases uh, like you know <laughs> worker empowerment zone to justify an assault on workers' rights to organize. So ultimately, let's face it. The people who run the business can make more money, and the people Absolutely. who work in the businesses get less money. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I just want to make a comment too. You know, for all of my non-union uh, workers out there, or friends, unions are are the source of where your uh, working good working conditions, your wages, your holidays come from as well. Right? The 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 the, the fight of the unions have led us to. Um, getting those wins in the private sector. And so, you know, I think there's sometimes people say, well, that doesn't impact me. I'm not part of a union. Well, if you look at the history, the labor history, um, you know, it's because of unions that we were able to get some of those wins. Absolutely. All right. No, it's funny. Yeah, I, I've had this <laughs> argument many times with my friends who are not in unions uh, but are writers. And I'm like, you think they're giving you that money because they like you? They got to give that money because. Well, it's just like saying, you know, <laughs> they call it a minimum wage because that's the minimum they have to pay you. Yeah. As opposed to anything maybe less than that. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, folks, as a union representative, I'll say this. I wasn't always a union representative. I was a non-union worker. I was a union worker. Um, I came up actually most of my career being non-union. And I will say this right now. Not everybody has to be in a union when they're ha- when you when the workforce itself has an advocacy group that's pulling up the bar. But that was the case in the 70s in the 60s, in the 50s, when our greatest generation came up and said, you know what, we are going to take, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to fight. We just got done fighting a world war. We're going to, we're going to organize ourselves. They were organized and they created a lot of great things, a lot of great working conditions for folks. So with that said, um, there has been just a slow, drastic, you know, decline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I started in the workforce, my first job, I didn't have to pay a health insurance premium. That was the norm for some time in the trades, at least uh, going backwards. You didn't have to, you know, that was part of your, your, your package. Yeah. You didn't have a, you know, a line on your check that says, Oh, um, that's your, your, your contribution. Yeah, to health well, that's insurance. long gone. Uh, you know, well, it's way long gone, yeah. but, but why is it long gone Ben? Yeah. Because we don't have the advocacy. Well, that uh, uh, I got it. I'm going to hold off for the moment for the next show about uh, the whole uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, uh, the the movement for single payer or uh, Medicare for all. Yeah, you have uh, a table that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, because that's <laughs> uh, he got he, he did or got. He, I was going to ask you actually this about this on my list of things to ask you about Ryan, but uh, he got a resounding uh, cheer. I don't know if you saw this, Ron, when he was on Fox uh, Town Hall. Bernie Sanders did when he called the he gave his reasoning for uh, Medicare for all and he got a big applause. So I think this, there's greater support for this than we actually realize. Uh, People are being crushed by health insurance costs. I mean, that's a fact. I think I, you I, see it. I, I would, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, look, health, healthcare. Um, if we look at the 2018 election, healthcare was the number one issue and candidates that ran on fixing our healthcare system, expanding healthcare rights, uh, healthcare to, to folks, 
they won. Mm-hmm. You know, so people, there is a real concern. This has be- almost uh, become the number one concern that people have. All right. I now, uh, before we go to break, I want you to talk a little bit about Labor Bill, uh, Senate Bill 75, your sponsor of that. What's that all about? Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important legislation, and I was honored to carry it. Um, so Unite Here uh, has worked on this legislation in the city of Chicago. They passed the ordinance. Um when you look at the statistics of hotel, motel, and, and casino workers and the sexual harassment they face, it's 58% of hotel and motels. Excuse me. Is this hands off, pants on? Is it, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, that's the that's the inside. Yeah, yeah. no, that's outstanding legislation. Yeah, Continue, so, please. sorry, 50, yeah, 58% of hotel and motel uh, workers, um, you know, have been uh, sexually harassed uh, by a guest. 77% of casino workers have been sexually harassed by a guest. So th- the numbers are just completely horrible on this. And the, the bottom line is no worker should feel unsafe in, in their working environment. And so my legislation would would uh, expand this uh, law to the re- to the state of the rest of the state. Uh, it would also include casinos, casino workers, because uh, the city of Chicago doesn't have a casino. And um, it, it, you know, it was honestly an exercise in collaboration and negotiation. We worked with Labor Unite Here CFL. We worked with the business groups, Illinois Hotel and Motel Association, Caesars Entertainment. They're, do- they're they were already doing work to address this, and we got together. They got fifty one out of fifty nine votes in the Senate. Um, we would be the first state in the country um, to pass this law to make sure that if you are a hotel, motel, or casino worker, you can you will be a, provided a safety button to um, be able to prompt security or, or the appropriate hotel, motel, or casino staff if you feel unsafe in an isolated space. Is uh, so to pass the Senate has it passed the House already? It's, so it's passed the Senate. Representative Bob Morgan is the sponsor in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will go through committee in the House, and and um, I. I have no reason to believe uh, that it won't pass the House and the All governor right. won't sign it. Very good. That's our uh, State Senator Ron Billy Valam, Ryan Kelly in the studio with me. We're going to uh, take a break. We're going to come back and get their thoughts on uh, the man I call Grandpa Joe throwing his hat in the ring. We'll be right back. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, <laughs> take us home. All right, we'll do uh, that uh, super cool music. Ryan Kelly on the keyboard there, doing a great oh, job. Yeah. Woody's not organizing workers. It's only oh, just begun. <laughs> oh, nice. Hey, he sings sing. like an angel, man. Uh, Ram Vilivalam is uh, playing bass on that number, and uh, <laughs> sounds really cool on that as well. Uh, State Senator Ron Billy Vallon, the pride and joy of Beasley Elementary, uh, used to play basketball against uh, Derrick Rose and Duncan. I just made that up. Uh, And uh, and the story grows. This is the lying portion of the program. (laughs) (laughs) Duncan, Derrick Rose, and said, uh, uh, uh. Uh, none of that happened. We can create some Photoshop, you know, uh, we can use Photoshop. To <laughs> yeah, I know you were in the math club, not the basketball team. That's right. In my mind, you're on the basketball team. All right, do you got an update? Absolutely. Some final updates before we mosey on out of here. Democrats have officially launched their investigation into President Donald Trump's Homeland Security firings. Democrats sent a letter to Homeland Security requesting documents on officials who have recently left, including... Kirsten, that's Kirsten with a J in it. Kirsten mm-hmm. Nielsen. Yes, indeed. Kirsten Nielsen. That uh, She left. Trump was trying to get her to do all kinds of nasty things that she didn't want to do. And so <laughs> Democrats got so many investigations going on. I say keep them going. Our other update here. Everybody's talking about it today. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Well, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. Joe Biden today, he officially announced that he is running for president in 2020, our host Ben Jarofsky was ducking and dodging like crazy when I asked him if he was in fact riding with Biden earlier. He said no. That really wasn't a firm no, though, all right? He may be rolling with Biden here. But I tell you, uh, no ducking and dodging took place on the question if you uh, ask New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Oh, no. Andrew Cuomo announced today that he plans to open his formidable fundraising network to Biden's 2020 campaign. Here's audio from Andrew Cuomo himself showing his support for Grandpa Joe. Take it away, (laughs) Andrew Cuomo. If I had a crystal ball, uh, I would uh, say, and I would hope that uh, Joe Biden would get into the race. I think he has the best chance. Okay, the audio may have been a little shoddy there for some of you here and there, but basically said Joe uh, Joe Biden's great. I love him so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Uh, New York Governor Cat, whenever I hear his voice, uh, I remember his daddy, Mario Cuomo, uh, the governor of New York, people wanted him to run uh, very much so. Uh, but I remember he almost ran for president, I think it was 1988. Uh, and at the last moment, he had a change of heart. And Joe Biden ran. That's how long Joe Biden's been around, uh, been running for he's president. He's old, guys. He's old. Come on. Uh, I would say that uh, he's experienced. How about twisting it that oh, way? He's experienced. Ben Jarofsky, uh, you're very experienced <laughs> as well. <laughs> Every day I get a little more experienced. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Ryan Kelly, uh, what are you? Are you uh, riding with Biden? What's your thoughts about Joe Biden running? I'm going to say this right now. Um, I think, especially here in Illinois, especially here in Chicago, we have already seen the. Well, even in the last presidential election, you know, the influx, the 14, 15, 16, 20, 30 candidates running for office, and. I know my union is going to sit back and do its due diligence, as I will, as that's our plan. The things I point out are this. What are the kitchen kitchen table items that we want to talk about? You know, uh, wealth inequality, uh, stagnant wages, things like that. Who's going to best carry that torch? That's who's probably going to get the support. Um, recently, Ben, we were talking about this, uh, Bernie Sanders, 
appeared at one of our our conventions or or I forget which it was some part of our organization. I think it was a transportation organ uh, transportation territory. We also threw an invite out to. Um, presidential candidates that were already on the table at that point. So you had Amy, uh, I think it's Shubhashar. Klobuchar. I'm sorry, yeah. right. And um, she also spoke to our membership. So, you know, we're going to keep, uh, my my understanding is we're going to keep an open door policy on this. Now me, I'm going to take off my IAM hat and I'm going to say this. Um, we see that, especially in the city of Chicago here and so on and so forth, that, you know, uh, Nothing against Governor Como there, but you know the 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 candidate that's best prepared, who's out of the box. Which Benny, you've talked about many times. You know that out of the box candidate. I don't know if that's actually like a kiss of death for some folks right now, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know if people want that. You know that whole. Well, we're the experienced folks here. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were running for president right now, which I will never do, I promise everybody right <laughs> yeah. here, um, I wouldn't want anybody saying he's best prepared for it. No, mm. I'd actually want to come in and kind of be the like, new hey, person, the new yeah, kid in just the block. like the new idea. And we're seeing this here in the city council. We're seeing it here uh, within our state. And um, I'm not going to say Illinois is leading the way or Chicago's leading the way, but uh, when you take these high volume states and you take these high volume, high population areas, uh, this is often a microcosm where you start seeing a larger shift, and I think we're beginning to see it. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, new is in? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's leaning that way. Um, so I think, you know, to, 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 to put it a little bit differently, in 2016, I think that, um, I think it, you can argue pretty pretty well that Hillary Clinton was the most qualified um, to be the president of the United States. I was proud to support her. Uh, I think she would have done a great job. Um, she definitely had the most experience. She might she might even be the most qualified and most experienced ever to run for, for a president. Um, but as as was said, you know, Ryan said he, you know, she had, um, you know, that experience kind of tagged to her. Um, I also think that the viability argument was used repeatedly, you know, mm-hmm. for Hillary in 2016. And obviously that didn't pan out. No, it did so, not. So I think that when we talk about this, you know, who our nominee is going to be, uh, I think people are going to be very weary of the viability argument. Mm-hmm. It didn't work in 2016. Um, you know, I think the kitchen table issues is going to be a huge part um, of of um, how we determine who can win and 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 who is going to who's going to be best best equipped to win. Um, because at the end of the day, we have to. Win back Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Yep, that's the election we, we right ha- there. We, we have Absolutely. to win back. It's crazy for me to say this, but we have to win back the Obama-Trump voters in those states. Um, and I think, you know, again, those folks are most concerned with some of the, some of the economic issues that they're, they're facing right if now. If you can name three of them, what would they be? In terms of the economic yeah, issues? Yeah, the kitchen, with the so-called kitchen table issues. So I think health care. Mm-hmm. I think wages salary uh those two for sure uh and i think that you know people are i think people also want to see some of the um income inequality that's taken place right so obviously you know wages you know increasing wages um is going to help with that um driving down healthcare costs is going to help with that but you know i think people that are working to get a, a a hand up and and a push forward 
and they see that there's the CEO of their company makes 400 times what they make or <laughs> that the, the tax scam that Donald Trump has pushed through 83% of it goes to the top 1%. That's got to be really disheartening, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I've talked to people at their door. I've knocked on 10,000 doors in my districts and, and uh, quite honestly, Republican, Democrat or independent, if they're a working or middle class uh, from a middle class family, that's they're, they're like, why, why is wall street getting all the breaks and CEOs getting all these bonuses and, you know, we're just struggling to get by. Absolutely, Ram. I mean, that that's the same thing I hear. It's like, you know, we keep hearing how great the economy's doing, even though that's kind of like shaky right now, but the economy's up, the economy's up, rah, rah, rah. And initially, I think even average Joe buys into that. But right now, where are we at? Yeah. yeah. Have wages upticked? Have we really seen anything? We see an increase in jobs, but are they full-time career service like base jobs or are they there's an uptick because dad and mom are both instead of well instead of dad working a job and mom staying home you got dad and mom working full-time jobs and maybe both of them are doing gig economy jobs which is insane so that can obviously bolster up a number but i see it i know a lot of people working jobs like that and i'm sure you see it as well and you yeah. hear that struggle I, I just don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, Ron, were you Bernie or Hillary in 2016? I was I was Hillary. You were Hillary? I was Hillary. Over Bernie. And, and Ryan, I can't remember. Were you Bernie or Hillary? Um, in the primary? or in Yeah, the primary. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I went with Hillary because I just felt that that was the, the candidate that was going to get us there. Was I happy with everything? No. Am I ever happy with anything in election, yeah. Ben? Not so at all. Hear, hearing <laughs> so. you guys talk, you two viability people from 2016, to use your word, Rom, you're two viability people. I went, I remember so much pressure for so many people in my family. Don't vote for Bernie. Like my one vote mattered. Don't vote. He can't possibly win. I heard that over and over. I still voted for him because well, he articulated everything I wanted. And and, and and to the point of, of what we were saying earlier uh, with Bernie at the Fox Fox uh, Town Hall, uh, there were there were there were Bernie Trump voters. You know, yep. there were there were people that voted for Bernie in the primary that voted for Trump in the yeah. general. What uh, an as, interesting as, dynamic! I, I, I could <laughs> never imagine you know doing anything remotely close to that, I mean, but it exists. I, I think within the uh, the. You, you say the um, what was the t- the term you just used the viability viability voters, yeah, right so. When you look at what we're going through as a society right now, mm-hmm. the, the wealth inequality, the, the wages not increasing, people ever increasingly feel the crunch. I think it's easy for them when you talk viability, you talk track record, you talk about, well, maybe Hillary could bring it back to how it was in the 90s when mm-hmm. her husband was president. I think people more attached to that than they do looking at the candidate. I mean, they're looking at the brand recognition at that yeah. point. Um, at, at that point in my life, I didn't know enough about Bernie Sanders to really know what he was about or his track record of being the way he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he could be pro union and pro this or that. Is he going to get elected? I don't know. And that's ultimately a decision that, ha- that every working person has to make is, you know, is universal healthcare an option is Medicare for all or whatever you want to call that. I mean, like all these different platforms, what's realistic and what is going to be the best box of a person that's mm-hmm. gonna do the best they can rom do you sense that anybody that, that your district again it's west riders park into uh, skokie lincoln etc do you sense that your district uh that people are leaning toward any candidate or is it too early i think it's too early you know i think let me let me say this I, you know i'm always going to appreciate um you know vice president biden's service um i think mayor pete 
Beto, Bernie, they all bring energy to it. Um, I think there's just too many candidates right now for people to really uh, zone in on, on one. Uh, I think June is a good time frame to see, you know, so that we'll start to have debates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're, gonna, we're seeing a lot of different energy, a lot of different experiences. The one thing I will tell you though, is that um, I don't think the, the female candidates are getting the type of uh, attention that they should be. Uh, you know, Senator Kamala Harris, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and Senator Amy Klobuchar, Senator Kristen Gillibrand. Um, you know, there's been a lot of press attention you know, towards Mayor Pete and before that Beto and uh, now Vice President Biden and no disrespect to any of them. But, you know, I think we made we've made strides with Hillary in 2016 uh, as our nominee in terms of breaking a glass ceiling. And I, I think they should at least get their due, you know, in terms of um, being being getting the same exposure. Oh, my goodness. If there's a, a man at the top of the ticket there, or my humble opinion, there has to be a woman as vice president and vice versa. I think just. That's going forward. I think that's uh, obvious. Um, uh, Ron Billy Valam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Ryan Kelly, it's always a blast to have you on. Great to see you, Ben. Uh, And Dr. D. And Dr. D. Looking very good. I think I heard the summary of that conversation is Ryan's running for president and you're you're his VP. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we're going to have Allie uh, run for that's the, slanderous, yeah. uh, Mr. Senator. <laughs> and also want to thank Tom Mack to me for my, being my guest earlier Tommy in the Mack. show. Tommy Mack uh, earlier in the show, and of course the man to meet, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Ladies, all love him for his body, his mind. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> he oh, makes darling. it all happen. The good doctor. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right, Ben Drowski show live streamers and YouTube viewers. If you missed any of today's program, don't worry. You can download today's Ben Jarofsky show at two websites, all right? Chicago.suntimes.com, Chicago Suntimes website, and ChicagoReader.com. Give me till about uh, 3.45, and I'll have it posted. You can go download it and listen to whatever you missed. Downloaders, you know we live stream this program, right? Yeah, we sure do. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. And hey, we're on video now, too. That's pretty cool. Hey, wave hi. Oh, that was, that was... See you tomorrow, guys. <laughs>